the Candid Health Chat podcast, where we ask tough questions. What is that? Where, where does that come from? Challenge commonly held beliefs. Everything to get rid of a pregnancy if she doesn't, doesn't want, want to be pregnant. We laugh a little. <laughs> do that again for the people <laughs> back. Do it, please don't do it. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Slice of Health, the Candid Health Chat podcast, where we slice away health truth from health fiction. Join me and my friends as we challenge common health myths via chit-chat, powered by several cups of coffee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and do visit us at a sliceofhealth.club. Let's get to today's episode. Hello champions, welcome back to another episode of A Slice of Health. It's me, MDO, and today we're going to be talking about mental health, which you all know I love talking about, but also mental health as it intersects with faith and religion and how our faith and religion can support our mental health and how we can continue to improve the state of our mental health, even with religion as a support. Do they go hand in hand or are they enemies of each other? And today we have the amazing Dr. Debbie Ujikoya on. Several of you who are our listeners already follow her on her personal page and on her psych tips page as well. So I'm sure you guys are super excited for her to be on. Welcome, Dr. Debs, to the episode. Hi, thanks for having me, Mo. I'm quite excited to be doing this. Thank you so much for coming on. So tell us a lot about yourselves. I think a lot of our listeners know you, but for those who don't know you, tell us a lot. Okay, so I guess the short version is I'm... Debbie, some people know me as Toby as well. Um, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, I work here in London um, and on my social media, as much as I'm a clinician, I'm also quite passionate about my faith and you often kind of see a merge of both on my personal page. Yeah, that, that is amazing. And so that's what we're talking about today, really. So, you know, mental health and faith. But just before we jump into sort of the giving advice side of things and sort of the talking points that we have, how have you gotten to a point where both of them are not in conflict in the work that you do? Because I think that is something that often comes up and, you know, even as I went, you know, going through medical school, a lot of people would say to me, oh, but you're a person of science and you believe in research and evidence-based medicine. How can you have a faith, whatever faith, whatever faith that is? How have you come to a point where they're not in conflict with each other? Um, I think it's a working process. Mm. Like, I wouldn't say that I've complete, completely wrapped my head around both. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I'm confronted with things from a psychological aspect, I tend to go back to, so my faith is grounded on, on Christianity because I'm a Christian so I tend to go back to the Bible and I ask really difficult questions about how these two can coexist at the same time um, and and what I've found is that they do complement each other um, if we are open to that I think sometimes when we gain scientific knowledge and the fact that we can be we work from an evidence base, things that don't kind of fit into that evidence base, we can sometimes quiet or silence because we only want to work on what we can see and what we can prove. Um, but sometimes openness to, to kind of have different perspectives coexist together can bring in new understanding and new knowledge. And, and I've found that with my faith in psychology that they do not necessarily have to be at opposite ends. Mm-hmm. And it's really about how we make sense of these differences um, 
to work for us personally. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And so just jumping right into it, I think a lot of times when we talk about mental health and also in the space of faith, there's some viewpoints of saying that a person of faith cannot have you know, mental health difficulties, cannot struggle with their mental health, especially when we're talking about things like anxiety and depression. I feel as though there might be some sort of double standard when it comes to certain things. So with anxiety and depression, people feel that, oh, your faith should help you with those kind of things. And then when it comes to illnesses that are um, maybe psychotic in nature, um, schizophrenia, bipolar affective disorder, there seems to be a sort of slight double standard when, when it comes to dealing with those things. How, what would you say to people who felt that, you know, they're struggling with anxiety and depression, um, personality disorder, that they shouldn't be struggling with that because they're a person of faith? Yeah, and I, 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 before I answer that, you know, thinking about this talk today, I thought it might be helpful just to even define what we mean by faith. It's yeah. just because for, for a lot of people, we're using that word because, um, you know, I, I know what my personal idea of faith is, but that yeah. could differ for, for everyone yeah. that listens to the podcast today. And I think the way that I've come to understand faith is based on two main words, which is belief and choice. Mm-hmm. So a willingness to believe in something or someone um, that is not seen and actively making a choice to live life in accordance to that belief. So in terms of Christianity, um, our faith is the belief in Jesus Christ. Um, and that's not a means to an end. So the belief in Jesus Christ is that he's our Lord and Savior and that that then leads to a relationship with God. So faith within Christianity is talking about relationship to a deity, to a divine being, God. Um, and that comes with a lot of understandings in terms of how we view God and how we view ourselves because that story is about redemption being saved and that opens this whole idea of love and full acceptance so on on the back of that when you now start looking at your what you were saying there between faith and your and your your mental health I think again this is a topic that has been here for a really long time and you can see just through the process of culture change and societal change that people go back and forth in terms of if mental health and faith can be complementary or they kind of work against each other and and i think one thing that i i've recognized that it's not just a christian thing but is also a human societal thing is this idea of the happiness myth um russ harris who wrote a book about the happiness trap talks about four happiness myths that we can all find ourselves in and i'm actually just going to read that because i wanted to be exactly the way that he said that um he says that one of the first myths that we have is that happiness is the natural state of all human beings so that we are all supposed to be attaining to a place of happiness um and that's not just christian it's just everyone alike that idea in society is that happiness is the point of success or achievement um and then this also also this idea that if you're happy then you cannot be you if you're not happy then you're defective so if you're not happy then there's something wrong with you um and that's another myth that tends to be out there and that one i'll come back to because in christianity that is one of the strong beliefs that drives the way that people relate to their difficulty and their faith 
Um, and another myth that's often out there is this idea that to create a better life, we must get rid of all negative emotions so that they cannot coexist, coexist with one another. So if you are living a meaningful life, then we cannot have any negative emotions showing up or coexisting. And the last one is that we should be able to control what we think and feel. And as I say that, and I remember the first time I read about that, I smiled because this was something I could relate to in my personal life and just in conversations with friends and in how we talk about difficulties. Now, just taking that, those four happiness myths that are just there society, just in society and then bringing that to the Christian faith, um, that sometimes can even be further, what's the word? It can be further exaggerated because now not only is that expectation there as to how we should be with our happiness or, or, or relationships, we often then put another kind of level to that, which is we're not only expected not to have any negative emotions, but God wants us not to have any negative emotions. And so we then have these two levels of how we expect ourselves to be with our emotions. And then we believe that the relationship that we have, which is the fundamental part of our faith, God doesn't want us to believe that as well. And then we pull on scriptures that talk about do not be anxious and do not worry. And we use that to reinforce and confirm this idea that we should not have anxiety and we should not be depressed. And I just want to read one of the popular scriptures in the Bible that people talk about when they try to explain why we should not be depressed or anxious and that when we are doing that in some ways we're going against our faith and that's Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7 that says do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus and people quote that all the time and say look the Bible says that we should not be anxious but I think the most important word in that scripture is the word but because what comes after do not be anxious it's behaviors to do and so what I believe about those kind of scriptures is that God is not saying to us don't have these emotions what he is saying to us is that when these emotions show up here is how to respond so most of those scriptures are actually guidelines of how to respond when you are feeling difficult emotions as opposed to saying don't feel them at all definitely definitely and I, that is amazing and you know what you just talked about in terms of the happiness myth i i love that because you know and it's also similar to um the quest for love as well i was just having this conversation mm. yesterday um you know because in the other side of my sort of podcast in life I, I i do a lot of sort of relationship stuff and i was saying to someone that our culture has gotten us into this idea of searching for the one so much and this mm. huge thing and we build it up into such a huge thing that we we actually often fail to experience a lot of beauty in the life that we we do currently have or the life that we're going to live or we're all on this quest for this one this elusive one and we then force ourselves into feeling less than because we've not had this experience or this euphoria of being in love as the world has taught us to understand it as rom-coms have taught us to understand it and you know if we, if we study film and media 
a lot of these things evolved over time into what it is today and it will probably evolve out as well as we as we study more and understand human emotion more understand our relationship with each other more and you know that you this that feeling of euphoria does not last for a very long time it's something that we then work on and start to build our relationship and our relationships with love with our friends with our family spouses and, you know and it's it's really coming to a place of understanding and i really appreciate how you broke things down for us you know in that way so then with that understanding of what happiness is uh, the myth of happiness the things that we construct in our heads about what happiness is and what we're supposed to feel and also about how that scripture that you quoted isn't saying that we should never be anxious but actually when we do get anxious there's some things that we can do that can help support our mental health to get us to a place where we feel more comfortable and we feel more at peace in our own bodies how would you tell someone who was going through anxiety or depression who also had a faith and was struggling to first of all articulate that this is what i'm going through because i think that is often a problem that you're feeling all these emotions you're feeling all these things having all these negative thought patterns where you don't know how to articulate it what would be the first step in terms of giving some that kind of person guidance i think um the first thing is normalize 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 <laughs> um and, and and the reason for that is because and i love how, what you said there is that sometimes when they're having those experiences they don't know how to articulate it and, and, and when we think about language and, and how we form language, language is formed through our interactions with others and how we talk to one another. And um, within, within the Christian body sometimes, there, there hasn't been room to talk about these things. So there isn't communication around how do we express through our faith when we're feeling anxious or when we're feeling depressed. What, what, what do we say? How do we say that? How do I identify that? Um, and, and so when you're struggling with anxiety and you, you have faith, I think it's about giving voice to that anxiety, um, but also normalizing it by going back to the word and realizing that you are not alone in what you are feeling. And actually there are many people in the Bible that have experienced what you have experience and so there there are kind of different layers of of um normalizing going on so there's the normalizing in terms of within your body your your community your your local community there are people around you as well that might be going through what you're going through within the word of god there are people bible characters that you can read about who might be going through what you're going through and and through speaking about things what you do is that you begin to support yourself not just to normalize but begin to identify what it is exactly you are feeling because even though we talk about anxiety anxiety shows up for people in a lot of different ways and it's about kind of understanding what your anxiety looks like for you how does it show up and to be able to identify something you first have to be opened to it you have to look at it to see what you are naming and that sometimes is the hardest part because the, one of the blockers to looking at our anxiety or looking at our, at our depression as a person of faith is shame um, because we are, we are worried or we think that we're not supposed to feel the way that we feel. 
Um, and I remember I, I, I had a talk with someone and I said, what then, that, what then tends to happen is that we begin to get upset about the fact that we are worried or angry at ourselves at the fact that we are worried. And one thing that started off as anxiety becomes this soup of anxiety and anger and more worry. And it, it, it blows up. And so I think the very first thing that I would, I would like to say to people who are struggling with faith and anxiety and, and just where to start from is normalizing. And, and as Brene Brown says, in terms of uh, what the tools that help with shame resilience, it's demystifying and normalizing. Demystifying, you know, what you are feeling is normal. It's the normal human reaction. I can relate to that. Or if I cannot relate to that, well, I can, I can kind of, point you in the direction where you can get more information about that and normalizing that you're not alone and I think those two things are um, are huge in terms of helping with that healing process yeah I love that and you know Brene Brown she, she's just so amazing in terms of encouraging us to expose the areas of ourselves that we'd rather hide um, and it, it takes work to get to that point. But I think once you've gotten to that point, you then realize that you're actually not alone. And I think sometimes just removing yourself from that feeling of mental isolation and also physical isolation does quite significant part of the healing journey um, as well. And what about therapy? Because, you know, as a psychologist, you know, offering therapy to people, can you talk about the importance of therapy? first of all, and then also what advice would you give to people who have faith in, you know, Christian faith, um, as you're able to comment on, and are resistant in terms of going on that process and going on that journey or feeling that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be, be seeking help through, through therapy. What, what would you say about that? Um, I think first I want to name my bias because I am a psychologist, so I 110% believe in therapy and I believe in the effectiveness of therapy to support people deal with difficulties, um, whether that is anxiety, whether that is depression, whether that is relational issues, whether that is communication. Um, and, you know, it's important to say, because I think sometimes because part of their, the main tool we use to convey skills in therapies talking people sometimes kind of feel like you know what's the point in that i can talk to my friend i can talk to my pastor but what, why do i need to go see someone um, but it's important to remember that therapy is it's a prescribed and a recommended treatment like you would get if you went to go see a doctor for your physical health and your doctor would prescribe you medication or prescribe you some things to do. So therapy is a tried and tested, um, recommended treatment for dealing with life difficulties. Um, and in terms of the resistance that people may have around um, going to therapy, I think one of the things I often say is, going, taking that first step and having your first session, um, it, it's the, the amount of harm or the potential harm that can come from that is quite low. And um, the, the, the beauty about therapy is that you can opt out at any time. You can opt out once you see the therapist, 
You can opt out in the middle of therapy. You can opt out at the end of your first session. And so there is that sense of, there is no harm in trying because one, you can decide it's not for you and that's okay. But in the chance that you try and it is for you, why miss out that opportunity if you've never tried it? Um, and, and sometimes, and, and as I'm saying that, what I'm thinking about is this concept that we talk about around the difference between experiencing something and forming ideas about something even before you experience it. And, and what tends to happen for all of us, because we are human, is that um, we form ideas of things um, even before we have experienced it. And sometimes those ideas in themselves become blockers to even trying. So we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to experience it and form our own impression about it. We just take those ideas we have as facts and we won with that. Um, so with resistance, it's all about taking one step. And if you go and you, you think actually I was right, then fine, you've confirmed that idea. But don't, don't kind of miss out on the opportunity to try it because of one, the stigmas. Because that's another thing I, I really want to mention that sometimes part of that resistance to therapy is stigma. Um, and, and stigma about what this is about me if I go. And I think we, and I think it's important to name that even though we are advancing in our understanding of mental health, for a long time, you know, mental health and seeing a therapist was associated with being crazy or that there was something wrong with you or that you were, you were not normal. And, and I want to, and I want to kind of uh acknowledge that you know sometimes when you are dealing with a mental health difficulty there is already the feeling that you feel like you mentioned quite rightly mo feeling quite isolated and feeling different from the rest and so sometimes for people taking that step to go to therapy can feel like you're further reinforcing that idea of being different from the rest um and so you know recognizing and naming that stigma but also but also realizing that you know therapy in itself what you're doing there it's 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 human interaction <laughs> um and 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 actually for some people it's the first step of coming out of that that space of isolation because then you're not only with yourself with your difficulty but then you have somebody else that you can speak to about that difficulty and get a different perspective than the one that you might have yeah that's great and what about because therapy is is amazing um i, I generally I, I often say that everybody should experience therapy and i think the reason for that is sometimes when we start talking about the experiences that we have the patterns and the journeys that our lives have taken and the reason the way we respond to certain things oftentimes it is as a result of certain traumas that have happened in our childhood in our upbringing in our you know young adulthood that has formed our perceptions and our viewpoints knowingly or unknowingly and that often does affect the way that we journey through life or the way that we respond to new trauma or new life experiences but that is hard work 
And I think a lot of times people know that it is hard work because you have to confront a lot of things in your past. And that unbundling work does take an intentionality to actually mm -hmm. say, I'm bringing all of this open and I'm going to start talking about it. And that's something that a lot of times we don't want to do. We want to bury the things that mm -hmm. have affected us so deeply. And we, we feel as though burying it and tucking it away is coping with it. Hmm. So it all explodes, um, yeah. and it you know it explodes in, in in a way you know to your spouse, to your children, in anger or coming out in anxiety when something else happens, um, mm. and and you feel as though they're not related, but actually you then start looking back and you you can actually sometimes see a bit of a track um, mm. in terms of why you're responding that way. What would you say to people who know that therapy is going to involve that work, but mm. are of doing that work yeah um, therapy is a process and so you know therapy while out of talking and and allowing yourself to um, confront difficulties these things will show up therapy I think is important to say that it's done in a safe and intentional way and it's never done outside of your consent and it's never it's never done what's the word i'm looking at looking for it's never kind of it doesn't kind of just pop up at you whereby you're not expecting it um yes it's hard work and yes there has to be a willingness to explore those things um but it's also done in a safe way and I think that that's really important. And for some people, those defenses that we have that, that um, keeps us going, because I think it's important to say that those defenses are survival defenses. They keep us going. Um, and what you then find is that while therapy is a space to explore that, there's also, there's also the importance of timing. So, you know, therapy, when done sensitively and collaboratively, would often be done in a graded way, being aware of where you're at in your life and, 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 and how containing it would be for you to start opening all those different levels of trauma that you've been through. And for some people, you find that when they get into therapy, even though they are willing and they come with the intention to explore those things in therapy they might realize it's not the right time and that's okay as well and i think maybe what i'm trying to highlight through all of this is the importance of choice so even if you are finding it difficult to explore these things and you want to go to therapy you still are part of that choice making of how much you share when you share it and how you share it. Um, and sometimes knowing that you have that control um, with your story and your narrative can bring about a sense of safety. And, and I think that's what is important. Yeah, that's, that, is, that is actually really great. And just bringing it back into faith as well um, and going forward, you know, if you know, someone has gone through anxiety, gone through depression, and have started the work, you know, whether it's by taking um, um, antidepressant medication, anti-anxiety medication, seeing a therapist, starting CBT, whatever it is, 
how what would you say about people who then face stigma from their religious community so we talked so much about destigmatizing it for yourself initially just to so that you can also get the help and know that i'm not the only one that's going through this and that is really important to actually step out and get the help that you need and the support but what about the stigma from others what what would you say about that or even perhaps speaking to people who are prone to stigmatize others for seeking help how would you address that from a pastoral and professional point of view yeah, and I'm glad you, you brought that because it's important to say that the stigma around mental health um, in the context of faith is multi-layered. So it's not just the individual, but it's also the church, it's also society, it's also psychology, the body of psychology, because different psychologies have different beliefs about how faith impacts on mental health. So there are all these different contexts that are all interacting with one another in terms of how stigma is, is perceived and how it's maintained. Um, and I think that for people who are experiencing stigma around their mental health and around seeking help, um, on, on the, we've talked about the individual level, what they can do but on more of the, the church level, it's, it's education is, is so important. And, and education is, is one of, when we, when we talk about stigma work, you know, education is one of the main tools, building more awareness around mental health and faith, kind of like what you're doing now, having these kind of conversations. Another thing that we know can be really important with stigma is contact. So, and, and, and what I, what I mean by that is putting faces to people who are struggling with their mental health, but who have faith, whether it's Christianity or if they're Muslim or whatever their faith, faith is. Um, and that can only come about by encouraging more communication within the church. Because the more people talk about mental health within the church, and the more that we normalize mental health in the church, what we're, what we're doing as well is that we're putting more faces in the church of people who have these difficulties. And then we begin to recognize that actually, you know, anxiety doesn't have one particular faith. Anxiety can look like the pastor who is the one preaching. Anxiety can look like the usher who is asking you to have a seat. Anxi uh, depression can look like your choir, um, uh, the, the choir head who is the one leading um, um, church. And, and, and so those kind of interactions begin to help with stigma, but it's not a one person job. So it's not only the responsibility of the person who is struggling with their mental health to try to tackle these things. It's an everybody's job. It's, it's my job, it's your job. It's, it's all of us. We have a responsibility um, as people for anyone that has faith and is, and, and, and has, and we all have, and, and the truth about it is that while we all might have different um, types of faith, we all have mental health. We all have mental health. There's nobody that doesn't have mental health. So while we all have mental health and we might all have different levels of faith or no faith, we have a responsibility to continue to 
um, create spaces to have these kind of conversations and put faces to mental health. So education and contact, I think are really important. I love that putting a face to putting a face to it definitely does destigmatize. And I was having a conversation with someone once and it was really interesting that you talked about depression and the, 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 the one image that you portrayed was actually required. Um, and it really brings me to a story that I encountered of a young man who was a music minister and he uh, committed suicide the day after he'd done this huge sort of praise concert and things um and you know talking about it in community and i think sometimes the maybe perhaps the african context of community sometimes we have these preconceived ideas in our minds that can be very fixed just culturally and someone said oh it's probably because he's not been fellowshipping with god as mm. well that he's had this experience and i thought to myself I, I don't I don't think that's it. I I but I I I wasn't quite sure how to really say to them that I, I don't think that it has it really is so much about whether he was fellowshipping with God or not. He had an illness that mm. had not been treated and had not been managed, um, or you know, he just had or had been refractory to, to treatment and, and that, that is what happened. What what would you say to those kind of statements where people feel that if you're depressed, then that is evidence that you are not in close proximity or in close fellowship with, with your spirituality or with, with your God. Yeah, and I think um, the, the simple answer is a lot of the people we read in the Bible, a lot of the Bible characters um, went through depression anxiety i mean and, and you see the cultural difference in terms of the way that they expressed what that was so feeling heavy laden or feeling you know downtrodden and, and they use different terminologies um to describe physiologically and psychologically what they were going through and um it's interesting because those people are in the bible as examples of what it is like to fellowship with god and so, and, and, and as I was thinking about this podcast today, I was really struck by that because the Bible is filled with so much human challenges, whether it's loss or grief or depression or anxiety or, or even, you know, I remember reading one Bible character that was saying to God, you know, take my life, end my life. So the Bible is it, it, it screams all these human challenges and you see how these people through their fellowship with God use that relationship as a safe place to express what they're going through and, and have interactions with God about that. But somehow in translation, we, we kind of forget those parts of the story and all we focus on is the output of what God said to them. So we will just take the part where God healed them or God delivered them or God rescued them and we hold on to that. Um, and so my answer to that is your, your fellowship with God, again, going back to that happiness myth, is not an absence of difficulties. Actually, there are a lot of Bible 
uh, chapters and scriptures that encourage us to bring those things into our fellowship with God. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, bring your anxiety to me and I will give you peace. So actually, God, in a lot of ways, is calling us to bring those things into our fellowship with him and not the other way around. Um, yes, through fellowship, you know, we would, the hope is because, you know, while we talk about faith, there's, we also know that faith moves. So your faith can be strengthened, your faith can be weakened, you know, that faith is often moving. So yes, there is the idea that through your faith, you know, that relationship can bring about healing. So it is possible, and we know that through faith and relationship, there can be a widening of perspective, and there can be um, a sense of restored hope. And, and these things can help in terms of how you cope with things, and these things can also help with how you reframe difficulties to allow you to deal with those things. So yes, within your fellowship, there is room for healing, that can come out of it. But to say that uh, depression or suicidal thoughts happen because you're not fellowship with, fellowshipping with God does not fit in, at least with the Bible that I read. I, you know, I love what you said, and it's so tweetable what you said, that God is asking us to bring those things in as opposed to the other way around. And so, and I think sometimes as well, you know, in faith and, you know, whatever faith it is, a lot of times we feel that God is there, um, whoever we serve is there, and we don't want to bring in our difficulties and look as though maybe we're not grateful for the things that we have, or why am I feeling this way? I've been given so much. And, what, you know, what you're saying is actually bring the whole of you and all of you and all your struggles, whatever it is, your burdens and bring it in. And, and I really, really love that because that then enables us to recognize ourselves and actually say, okay, this is who I am. This is what, where I'm at. And this is what I'm working on as opposed to putting up a facade to ourselves, to the world around us, and also to the God that we claim to serve. Um, that is really important. And just as we round up, um, Dr. Debs, what would be, if you were to give our listeners a championship point, anything for, you know, for their mental health, for therapy, or dealing with their mental health and faith, what, what would you say to them? Um, first thing, we all have mental health. When you find yourself struggling, remember that that is a human reaction, not a you reaction, because we all go through difficult times. Your faith is there um, to complement and to help you through your mental health. Your faith is not there to push you out. Um, God wants you to bring those things to, to him. He desires for you to bring those things to him. And one of the things that we know is the crux of our faith is full acceptance. Full acceptance. That means, like you were saying, Mo, everything about yourself. God doesn't say full acceptance because he wants you to bring partial parts of who you are he wants you to bring the whole you and he recognizes that the whole you has some great things going on and some difficulties because he created you and i think that is one thing that i want people to remember just because you might keep things from god doesn't mean that he doesn't know that you are going through it because he created you you bring it to god is just allowing him 
to come and meet you in that place of difficulty. And just remember that. So because you don't share it doesn't mean that God doesn't know. He just wants you to bring it to him so that he can work that thing out with you. That is amazing. I absolutely, I love that. I absolutely love that. And where can our listeners find you online? Um, so my, you can find me on Instagram, Dr. Debzo, and you can also find me on site tips as well, where I just share some tips about mental health. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Debs, for coming on today's episode. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great. Awesome. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Do share this podcast with two people who have not heard about us before. Remember that this podcast in no way replaces advice from your own doctor or physician. Do subscribe and follow us on social media. Leave us a review on iTunes so that others can access the amazing content. And do join the club at asliceofhealth.club and drop us some suggestions or questions that you might have. Don't forget to be a health champion wherever you go by separating health fact from health fiction.